You are listening to the Cycling Podcast at the 2022 Vuelta España, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Today we are in Les Praeres, Nava. Hello, buenas tardes from La Vuelta a España. My name is Daniel Freeba. I am the host of tonight's episode. And as you heard our friend Rob Hatch just say, I am on Les Praeres in, Aust- in Asturias. Um, tonight, joining me from Pietra Santa in Tuscany, it's the former Leopard Trek team manager, Team CSC, Team Sky, and Orica Greenedge, communications manager, now Bon Vivant, and wine industry savant, the fanciest Dan on the cycling podcast roster because we established last night or I established I pronounced that his wine cellar was probably better than Dan Martins it's the man who said that Remco Evenepoel would never win a Grand Tour it's Brian Nygaard <laughs> thank Brian. you very much for that introduction Brian, <laughs> Brian how are you feeling about your produ- um, prediction um, your well, pronouncement yeah well I, I don't mind being corrected by reality <laughs> Yeah, God knows it wouldn't be the first time. Uh, it's still two weeks of racing to go. Still a lot of possibilities to to have a meltdown or make major mistakes. But yeah, he's he's looking very good now, isn't he, young Rimko? He is looking very good. And um, also looking very good, Brian, is the landscape up here on Les Praeres. A beautiful scene. We were up here in 2018, of course, surrounded by cattle. In fact, I am Brian and cow careful, pats. careful where um, you're walking. Yeah, very careful. But there's a bit of an end-of-term feel about tonight's stage, um, which suggests it's a a happy atmosphere. The end-of-term feel, um, that comes from the fact that it's, well, it's the end of the first tranche, really, of the Vuelta, and there's a rest day tomorrow, a long drive to Alicante. We'll talk about that later. What is um, less in keeping with the end-of-term feel is that there were a lot of bad-tempered riders at the finish tonight, or a lot of riders who had had pretty bad days didn't want to speak to the press there's a bit of a strange arrangement with well a, a, an ad hoc mix zone at the at the finishes here at the Vuelta and it's not easy to speak to riders and um, well certainly there weren't too many who were keen to talk about Les Praeres not least because it was it was a pretty brutal climb as most people will have seen on TV uh, concrete surface in parts so the last few hundred metres are well they're on gravel really as discussed on yesterday's stage and the gradients are savage in fact Brian before we get to the stage summary time trial let's hear the description of one rider as it's all shortly after he came over the finish line and that's Luke Plapp of Ineos Grenadiers here's what he had to say about Les Praeres how filthy was that climb Mate, that's going to be the hardest finish I've ever done. Borderline uh, inhumane, wasn't it? Yeah, 100%. Mate, that was any any slower and you were rolling back down it. That was, uh, no, that was ridiculous, but I uh, loved every minute of it at the same time. And what you said earlier in the world, you hadn't quite found your climbing legs yet. Are they any closer to arriving? No, I don't think so at all. <laughs> um, no, they're not there, but uh, that's all right. I'm still loving it, and I'm helping the boys when I can. And look, Carlos is killing it, so it keeps me happy crossing the finish line every time and knowing he's up there. Bit of a mixed bag today for the team. Teo crashed. Carlos did a fantastic ride. Pavel was good again, um, back to himself, I think. 
Um, it's, it's like that, this Walter, isn't it? I mean, you never know what you're going to get. Every day is a sort of box of chocolates. Oh, I think so, mate. And uh, I keep getting told as well the race doesn't start till Tuesday. So uh, I think it's it's just the prelude now at the moment. Um, Carlos is in a great spot. Unfortunately for Taylor, yeah, it's not great. But at the same time, like so much is going to happen in the rest of this race. And uh, it's definitely not over, mate. Well, Brian, um, should we get straight down to business? You heard... Luke Plapp there talking about how savage, how brutal, how horrible, um, how ineffably inhumane this final climb was. But what kind of stage did we have overall? Brian, are you primed? Have you got your aero gear, your skin suit on? And are you ready for... They don't make heads much more aero than mine, as you know. (laughs) (laughs) Rob Hatch, take it away, first of all. El resumen del día a contrarreloj. The stage summary time trial. It is the resumen de la etapa a contra reloj. Brian Nygaard, you have 90 seconds. Off you go. So, 171 kilometers from Villa Viliciosa to Las Prairies. After some big name attacking at the start of the stage, nine riders got away with Luis Manches being the best placed at 8.28. Quickstep Alpha Vinyl took care of most of the work in the peloton during the day with 17 kilometers to go. Attack started uh, going off in the breakaway. Uh, two riders got away, but it wasn't until the end that the rider from the, uh, the, the nine rider breakaway, Luis Manches passed them, going on to win the stage. Meanwhile, in the very reduced peloton, Ale Philippe uh, hit the technical descent before the climb, launching Remco Evenepoel to do what he does best, which is currently to drop riders out of his wheel. He did that. He gained significant amount and of time. Brian Nygaard. He get, gained significant amount of time. He is now leading the Welter with even a bigger gap to Enric Mas, which is now 112. The rest, the best of the rest, was actually Spanish today with Ayuso, Mas, and then Rodriguez Roglic and Simon Yates were some of the riders who lost a bit more time than I would have imagined before, but that's Las Pereiras for you. Thank you very much. Any more news on the, on the various different classifications, Brian? Um, GC, yeah, so KOM GC, Jersey, yeah, youth, so, yeah, yeah. yeah, so GC Remco is now leading the Vuelta with uh, 112 to Mas, 153 to Roglic in third. Simon Yates goes up one spot and he is now currently in six, but he's three minutes down. Uh, nothing new on the points classification. There wasn't anything to fight for today. Jay Vine is still leading the KOM with uh, yeah almost double points with 40-21 Robert Standard in second. Same team, obviously. Uh, youth, yeah, I mean, how, for how many years can Remco actually uh, head a game? I think it's still about 20... 20- 2034, yeah. I think he qualifies. There you go. But he's safely in that as well, obviously, with the 233 to Carlos Rodriguez of Ineos Grenadiers. If he was to be eligible in 2034, that would mean extending the the eligibility window for that competition. A bit like we extended the window, the permissible window for your 90-second time trial. But very good performance there, Brian. Um, I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm, yeah, I'm getting better. I would say I'm leaving out a, I'm, I'm leaving out a, a, a bunch of important stuff, which is yeah, much to like what oh. I'm doing in the rest of my life right now. One, one thing I did ask you to do, Brian, um, is recap if there were any DNSs this morning, because we usually do a pretty poor job of that, of telling people who did 
not start stage. Yeah, three significant ones. Uh, vote powers from Byron Victorious, Peter Seri from Quickstep Alpha Vinyl and Sepp Kuss of Jumbo Visma. Extremely significant ones, uh, well, certainly in the case of Sepp Kuss. Um, Peter Seri, also significant because he's one of Remco Vanderpool's key domestics. Also a chicken farmer, Dan Martin told me a couple of days ago. I don't know whether we discussed this in last night's podcast. We may have done. Um, anyway, this had me thinking about... Do you, Brian, are you a follower of cricket? I, I don't suppose you are as a, as a day. Not at all. I've, I've walked in on Michael Hepburn watching it uh, religiously more than once and it almost looked as embarrassed as someone was like looking at awkward stuff on the internet. There was not something to be disturbed while happening. Yeah, I, I don't get it. I mean, I, isn't ah, it a bit okay. like what, watching, okay. paint, watching paint dry, isn't it? Well, for me, if I was to then liken or compare or draw some kind of parallel between Peter Seri and Edo Brandis, there was a Zimbabwean cricketer called Edo Brandis who was a chicken farmer. He became very, very, very famous um, purely on account of an insult he aimed in the direction of, I can't remember which player it was, um, but it was it was something about this player's significant other eating biscuits. Um, and yes, that was his only claim to fame. Um, that was a significant tangent. Um, but Sepkus, as you said, well, he was the most significant absentee today. And, well, Primoz Roglic did feel his absence, I would suggest, out, out there on the road um, to Les Praeres. There was also, well, there was more trouble for Jumbo Visma because Chris Harper had a nasty crash on that really sinewy, twisty, dangerous road into the bottom of the climb. And um, he finished the, the stage and... I spoke to his team afterwards, and he seems to be okay. He's got a rest day tomorrow to recover. Well, well, on um, that, I, I think it also is definitely worth mentioning, and because Talgegen Harp was in that crash as well, and he yes. actually lost seven places in the GC, and he's now down on 12th, almost six minutes behind Evan and Paul. Yes, and understandably, Taylor was not particularly happy um, when he crossed the finish line. Like a lot of other riders, as I said, and Brian, we just mentioned a couple of, well, we mentioned one rider from Quickstep Alpha Vinyl, one rider from Jumbo Visma. Let's hear from another couple of representatives of those two teams. I've just spoken to to them after the finish. One is Ilan van Wilder, domestique to Remco Evenepoel and his compatriot. The other is Adi Engels, the Jumbo Visma director sportif. Let's hear from them now. Yes, in the end, I think we have a really strong team. Uh, achieved uh, a good goal today. Uh, we it was really difficult for us, especially in the start. Everyone was yeah seemed to to uh, attack us in the in the start. They were really pushing, uh, putting the pressure on us. But we stay calm and uh, we control the race like yesterday. And uh, we put Remco in uh, top three position. Uh, at the bottom of the final climb and then it was uh, directly uh, up to the GC guys so uh, he had good legs and uh, we were happy to, to help him all day and we're just happy that we uh, we went through this day safely take what you can take I would say uh, he's feeling good now uh, we are helping him um, these are the difficult days so here you need to take as much uh, advantage as possible. Okay, Adi, well, average day or bad day, would you say, for Primoz? Uh, Maybe a good day. To be honest, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, uh, I haven't seen him, I haven't spoken to him. I think in terms of uh, only looking to the result, a little bit better than average. 
Yeah. Uh, after yesterday, maybe we, uh, I won't say good, but for sure not bad. For the team, it was a bad day. Uh, which is uh, with, with Chris and Sepp, uh, obviously. With, with Sepp, uh, yeah, falling ill last night. Mike also suffering with uh, also yesterday a hard day and then today also suffering and then also crashing and then Chris crashing in the final. So it's a bit of bad luck. There's a lot of pressure now on Sam, I suppose, in the mountains. Um, how's he doing? Yeah, he's doing fine. And, and for sure, Chris was also doing fine. And I, I think the other guys are doing, uh, yeah, Mike, like I said, is suffering. The other guys are doing fine. We hope someone can like step up a bit, yeah. but also to be honest, what I said also this morning already, uh, you, you, you cannot just replace uh, Sepp by yeah. saying some, someone else got to do that, yeah. you know? A, a, a good Sepp is with the best climbers in the world and uh, that's something special. So, uh, but for sure those guys are doing, uh, and, and hopefully Chris is, I also don't know. I mean, uh, yeah, I know he finished and, and he's on the way down now. So. Hopefully he's pretty okay. Uh, he was doing well. Uh, Sam is doing well. Robert is doing well for the climbs. Uh, Rowan is improving. So, yeah, that's okay. That's okay. But uh, like I said, it's not easy to replace Sepp, if not impossible. Does a, a new Vuelta start on Tuesday or, you know, you hope the second half of the Vuelta will be a little bit different from the first? If it's a new Vuelta starting, we have then again uh, same time, everyone, or what? <laughs> <laughs> no, there's not a new Vuelta starting. We, we continue with this one. Uh, which, yeah, I know what you mean, uh, but I think it's just, uh, it will continue like this. Uh, I think yeah also what 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 when you look at others uh, they they try to take the opportunities that are there and and, and so are we uh, and and for the moment this is it but still uh, still very hopeful still two weeks to go like i said a few days ago then primos needed to make a step up he did i think he did also again today compared to uh, compared to uh, a few days ago but still a little bit more or other others have to go a little less uh, a little less fast it's also possible but no for the moment this is it and we have to do with it uh, first rest day then a tt and uh, which is no tactics at all just uh, uh, do what we can and then uh, and then we'll see the cycling podcast at the 2022 vuelta espana powered by super sapiens energy management for committed athletes and coaches still guessing on fueling not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights, and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. Thank you very much to Super Sapiens, our title sponsors. Now, the Super Sapiens technology can help everybody tweak and fine-tune and improve their fueling for performance. But for Sam Brand of the Novo Nordisk team, it is a fact of life. He needs to monitor his glucose levels to manage his type 1 diabetes. All the riders on the team are type 1 diabetics, and we've been hearing from Sam about a recent big day out at the Tour of Poland when he got into a break that lasted for more than 200 kilometers. Well, the group was five of us and there were three guys from Poland, two obviously from the national team, but one from uh, Lotus Adal, as well as uh, one guy from Unoek. So um, the three Polish guys, they were speaking to each other quite a lot and then it, it kind of knew that they wanted it to stay away. So the, the collaboration was there, but obviously then you have it in the back of your mind if anything's going to happen. 
Um, there's three guys who are from the same country who all know each other. So it's you got to keep all that in your mind, all that in in play whilst you sort of keeping the break away. So it's it, it's ace, and I love that. You know, I love that mental sort of collaboration. They're trying to work and trying to figure everything out and run through scenarios. You know, it keeps the day fresh. And um, I was just making sure that I did my work. Um, I wasn't skipping turns. I just make sure I keep them happy until you know at some point that communication is going to break down. You, we know that. Um, so it was just all about uh, doing my thing, looking after myself, and making sure that I was ready. El Diario Remco, the Daily Remco. The guy, we have a really strong team for, for this final. I think Julian and uh, Elon show their strength. Uh, also Louis, but I think Julian and, uh, and Elon will be more important for today's final. And then it's uh, it's up to me to not lose any time. And uh, yeah, it's actually the first 2K that is really steep. After that, it's going to be a bit more easy. Um, but yeah, I know Simon Yates won here. So uh, he's going to be a, an important guy to for the stage win, maybe. Um, but for us, uh, an easy, controllable breakaway would be perfect. That was the daily Remco, El Diario Remco, our daily journey into the mind and musings of the man that Brian Nygaard says will never win a Grand Tour. Brian, Remco was quite impressive today, was he not? He said there, he said there that he thought he had an excellent team for today's race, for today's course, and we saw that in particular, I thought, in those last few kilometres before the final climb because well the the tv pictures did not do the the precariousness of those kilometers justice no it definitely didn't i i thought of uh, of remco the other day after after you and i spoke and watching the world Cup, you know and the stages after he, i think and, and it definitely serves him well i think he sometimes rides uh, those climbs especially the finishing climbs a bit like a TT because he saw. I mean, he's, a, he's. I think he's a rider who grew up. Uh, well, in a very short of time, he's very short amount of time he's been in cycling. He's grown up lo- looking and reading his watts extremely well, and I think that he is quite good at on the last climb, basically like resetting or whatever he does on his um, power meter, and then pu- not purely but almost looking at the numbers for when he needs to go and when he needs to stop. I don't think there's that much of a tactic. Um, it wouldn't be on Las Playas anyways, but I don't think there's a lot of tactics in what he's doing currently. I think he's just racing to his limit and then seeing what the damage uh, he's what the damage is that he's able to do. Uh, are you do you agree with that? Yeah, I think so, Brian. I would agree with that. I would also say that you know we talked at the start of the World Tour about the lack of Grand Tour heritage at Quickstep and how he might come undone as a result of that. That certainly hasn't appeared to be the case so far. I mean, he's got, he's got a great road captain in Junior Alaphilippe. Um, he's got a lot of experience there. The other members of the team, well, until Peter Seri pulled out today through illness, they seem to be healthy and they seem to be in good form, crucially, because that is, that is not necessarily the case of all... Um, the the GC contenders teams here and well they've done a very good job so far haven't they um, the one sort of caveat I would add is that it has felt like a bit of a sort of Tirreno Adriatico kind of course so far and well this is something we talked about in relation to the route generally that there are a lot of stages with sort of less than 4,000 metres of climbing that 
might be billed as mountain stages but if you look closely at the profile and if you look closely at today's profile it was more of a sort of tour of the Basque Country stage the climbs were not high there was no high altitude we're at just over I think 700 meters here where, where I'm speaking from right now on Les Praeres and that has suited Remco well but the route will continue to suit Remco well until we get to Andalusia and um, La Pandera particularly and uh, the Sierra Nevada itself next week but you know by then we'll also be two weeks into the the race and Brian you and I um, we have often spoken about this how people jump very hastily to conclusions in Grand Tours um, it's it's partly I think a result of the sort of short attention spans that generally prevail in today's culture that people rush to to cast sort of um, sweeping judgments about what's happening what's going to happen in Grand Tours and you know this could be a very different race when we get to the next rest day would you yeah, not yeah absolutely absolutely I mean and you know you shouldn't you sh- I mean you should hold back judgment I, I can't say that I did by saying even if I win a win at GC but that was a universal statement not a not an early world statement and I think Everyone knows, even if you, you you like to pass judgment quite early, it's it's going to go down in the third week, and it's you can look at the profile and and trying to find sort of hidden places where they can be won or lost, but it's all down to how well they've recuperated and how fresh they are in the last uh, week. Even if there's no major time trial to shake things up, I think that a lot could still happen uh, in the podium. Some I think some riders are already out of it, but some could definitely still come back and be contenders. Yeah, I mean, I suppose what we haven't seen so far that we expected to see from Remco Vanderpool, those those of us, I suppose, in the media particularly who are sceptics, are signs of sort of that rashness and, and that kind of youthful volatility that we have seen from Remco Vanderpool thus far in his career. Um, you know, whether it's sort of berating guys who are, who are not taking turns on the front. I mean, even, you know, Enric Mass has sort of provoked him a couple mm. of times by... by um, sucking his wheel all the way up climbs and then even attacking him in the last few hundred metres and he, he didn't seem phased by that he's definitely not looking phased by the amount of attention that he's getting every morning in the mix zone and after the finish every day he seems to be loving it in fact and you know there is a euphoria that kicks in generally with bike riders I think when they have fantastic legs I think it sort of leaks and seeps into every element of their life and every aspect of the way they they carry themselves. Would you would you agree with that, Brian? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And if you compare how he was developing, I, I wouldn't even say that, but how he was walking backwards in the Giro and uh, in uh, when Bernal was basically pr- putting him under pressure on places where he still didn't have a full fully developed skill set, being it descending on gravel you know, descending in wet weather and things like that. I think the, the amount of experience he's had from not doing great in, um, in Grand Tours is serving him well now. And now that he's, I think he's also a, a different bike rider than he was back then with a wealth of experience. And, you know, he also came in here after pummeling everyone in, in St. Sebastian. So you can't really say that he's that he's not mentally ready because no one's been really been able to, to do a lot about his superiority so far. Perhaps we are making a mistake in not sort of considering Enric Mas the, the second or the, the, the major threat to 
Remco Evenepoel. But I think that seems to be the feeling uh, around the race. And um, because of the way Emric Mass has ridden in the past, relatively defensively, the way we've seen him, well, he, he generally he generally rides well in the last week. But we've never really seen him threaten to win a Grand Tour. We didn't see that last year. And he sort of found himself in, in second place. So Roglic is the guy that everyone is looking to. Also bearing in mind the 31-kilometre tra- time trial on Tuesday but Brian I mean Primoz Roglic um, because of the setbacks that he's suffered over the last couple of years he he often seems a, a slightly embattled figure um, due to circumstances uh, often and that has been the case that is the case today I think with Chris Harper crashing um, Sepp Kuss having to leave the race through illness and you know a, a, a team that doesn't well in contrast to the impression they gave a week ago after the team time trial in particular a team that doesn't seem to be in the best of health and um, Sam Oman hasn't hasn't appeared to me to be riding particularly well I don't think Rowan Dennis is absolutely on top of his game I spoke to Rowan Dennis yesterday morning in fact and, and he was relatively chipper and the team say he's getting better but it's not the Rowan Dennis that we saw um, provide absolutely key assistance to Teo Gegenhardt when he won the Giro d'Italia in 2020. Now, he was a game changer back then for, for Tao. And I think if you looked at, at Roglic, even if he was, let's say he had a, he was leading the world's now slender lead or whatever, with, with Kuss out his and, and those other guys not being 100%, he would be in trouble, in my opinion, especially when you look at the climbing possibilities there he's up against. So even now, with the team reduced as it is, and with him, and I don't really think he has a lot of... He's never good once he's broken, in my opinion. We see that, I mean, he's had some nasty crashes in the Tour, and, and the last two years he hasn't finished it. But I, I don't really see him rising above where he is now, being having lost time and not having, ha- not having the best of teams behind him. So I, I think the best he can hope for, I mean, he can regain some time on the, on the TT, but not to Evenepoel. The best he can hope for, in my opinion, is, is the podium at this point. And Brian, just behind Roglic now, we've got two Spaniards, uh, Carlos Rodriguez and Juan Ayuso, who were, they were, they contributed to a great day, really, for the, the Spaniards today. At one point, the, it was the three Spanish hopes together, Mas, uh, Rodriguez and Ayuso, um, I mean, they are extremely young riders. Ayuso is still a teenager and Rodriguez, 21. But they look extremely promising, don't they? And Rodriguez has been the most consistent of the Ineos GC riders so far. I mean, Carapaz yesterday, there was... There was a bit of a postscript to yesterday's stage. Well, Carapaz, when... Carapaz today. Carapaz this morning. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, Carapaz yesterday, a lot, of, a lot of people noticed him. Well, he, he obviously was in the break initially and then went back. And there was some speculation about whether he'd been called back. There was also then speculation about whether um, he was unhappy with that order, that instruction. And, and um, he ripped the earpiece out of his ear. And, and I think he even sort of went back to the car and handed the radio back and he was asked about that I think last night and this morning and he wasn't explicit um, about what had actually happened it was a little bit coded he said it was just a chaotic day and and nothing really worked for the team yesterday but he's not he's not having a good welter and Teo Gegenhart got very unlucky today and he had a bad day Pavel Sivakov we'll hear from later his Welter bid was really derailed yesterday. So Rodriguez is by far the most consistent um, up to now, anyway. I think an interesting perspective now is also, I mean, Evan Paul is, is climbing better 
than anyone, I would say. But the people, I mean, he, and he's going to take more time on the pure, purer climbers uh, on the TT on Tuesday. But the group of riders behind him and the group of riders who I think can potentially shake the race up are all young uh, climbers. Apart, I mean, you still see some is young, but especially Ayuso, uh, who can barely is barely old enough to have a drink if he wins a bike race. And then Carlos Rodriguez. And I think those guys, I don't think they're afraid to lose as much as they really want to try and shake things up. I don't think that neither of them are riding for top five just for the sake of it. So hopefully that'll revamp some action into the race in case Evanapol is, is looking potentially just as strong as we go into the second week of the race. Carlos Rodriguez also has one of my lame nicknames as of, as of today. Um, I decided in the car on the way to the finish today that he would henceforth be known as Sugar Man. Um, <laughs> Rodriguez, of course, the, the elusive sort of um, mythical, mystical singer who was tracked down and was the star of the uh, award-winning documentary Searching for Sugar Man. Um, I hope to find out that Carlos Rodriguez has a really sweet tooth and loves nothing better than to than to guzzle uh, a bag of Haribo. Doesn't look like sem- it. Doesn't no, like no, it doesn't. It doesn't look like it. I, w- I should have waited though to establish to to find out a bit more about his eating habits before I christened I him Sugar a, Man. But I couldn't wait. Questions to you, Daniel Freebie. Are you familiar with the Swedish uh, children's author Astrid Lindgren? Uh, I may have heard the name. Okay, she's, very, she's very famous. One of her most famous characters is called Carlson on the Roof. Does that ring a bell to you? No. It looks exactly it's... like Remco Evenepoel. Oh, Ex- really? Like, nice. For, for, for all our Scandinavian listeners who I'm sure are familiar with Carlson on the Roof, they, once they see those images, I might be wrong about his potential as a GC rider, but I certainly know which Astrid Lindgren character he looks like. So I'm regaining a little I, bit of my integrity I, here. I think we should dedicate the rest of the podcast to just going through the whole peloton and giving those who don't already have nicknames um, <laughs> creative sobriquets. And Brian, another one you might appreciate, and I've been calling Matthias Norsgaards, who rocks up every morning, parks up every morning next to me in the mix zone because um, I tend to stand alongside TV2 of Denmark. So he's there every morning. Um, and he's a big lad. I don't know how tall he is, well over one. 90 centimeters um six foot four in in english british language and um i must wait i was it was looking for him for d uh, for, for for dnf today. yeah he's also sick he's also not feeling very well so i don't know how he got got on on those 20 percent plus slopes um but he's also quite heavy over 80 kilos it came to me spontaneously the other day um the family size milkshake the mega milkshake the big milkshake um, also a, very, a gentle giant isn't he yeah yeah he is he's, he's also but I don't know how much you've been talking to him in that context but he's definitely also someone to speak his mind like in a big way and I'm, I'm often thinking Jesus I'm, I'm, he should be happy no one speaks Danish on Movistar because he's definitely not afraid to, to voice his uh, disagreement with the team decision making uh, when being interviewed by especially by your Danish colleagues from TV2 Oh, fantastic, fantastic. I'll make a beeline for the Mega Milkshake on Tuesday. Um, Brian, the stage winner, Louis Meinkis, a man who has more Tour de France top 10s to his name than Primoz Roglic. Finished eighth in the Tour de France three times. Uh, has become a bit of a specialist, uh, not to the same extent as Guillaume Martin, but a bit of a specialist of the art of riding himself out of general classification to subsequently <laughs> ride himself back into it. 
Um, Darwin Atapuma was the, the founder of this movement in professional cycling. But Menkes does it as well. And today he always looked on paper like the best climber in that group that went away, didn't he? Yeah, and then also the best, you know, there's a reason why he's the best in, in GC and he was the best in GC in that group anyways. But I remember when I started commentating, it was also during those years when he was doing so well in GC. And I would go through an entire tour without actually knowing what he looked like because he's always hiding away in the peloton. He was always in this sort of this second category of riders, riders who couldn't aim for the podium, who would barely make top five, but always in top ten. It wasn't until a couple of years ago that I actually found out what he looked like. Well, last year in the Vuelta, I remember speaking to him and he, he opened up a little bit about some of the issues that he'd had with his weight. I think he was one of these riders that pushed, pushed things, pushed the envelope a little bit too far as far as um, weight loss was concerned. And he's, he's rebuilt his career quietly and very much in the, in the same vein as, as that team. Antoine Marché has, has built quite an impressive, well, certainly, certainly has some very impressive results, but they've, they've built a, a good roster of stage hunters and, and guys of that nature who are sort of looking for a second chance, um, guys who have maybe been forgotten, overlooked, considered to be over the hill, and it's been very effective for them. I mean, last year we saw Ryan Taramay and odd Christian Eiking in the Vuelta a España, and, well, they've had it's the numerous... Mon- it's money ball. They're money balling. Yes, it is, it is. And, um, well, a fantastic result for them today, fantastic result for Louis Monkeys, and, well, that's, that's made their Vuelta a España already. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash Boost by Tax Day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. El ritmo de la vuelta. The rhythm of the vuelta. This is El Ritmo de la Vuelta, our daily date with the Vuelta jukebox and the official songs that have serenaded Spain's Grand Tour since the late 1970s. Today, we are going back to 1999. Why? Well, the performer handed the honour of performing that year's official song was born in Villa Viciosa, the Asturian town where today's ninth stage of the 2022 Vuelta began. His name was, is, José Ángel Hevia Velasco, better known just as heavier and he's one of Spain's premier bagpipe players an instrument that features in a lot of indigenous music in this part of northern Spain the song is El Garrotin and Garrotin is a kind of improvised song featuring flamenco singing dancing and guitar playing which developed near the end of the 19th century in Asturias
The other reason for choosing this Vuelta a España today is that yesterday we talked about the last ever edition to feature the Mayot Oro, the golden jersey. That was in 2009 and it was won by Alejandro Valverde, whereas this was the first... The race rolled out from Murcia on September the 4th with defending champion Abraham Alano, most pundits' favourite for overall victory. Uh, Alano duly took the Mayo Oro on stage 5 to Ciudad Rodrigo, but that day was more significant for Jan Ulrich, who had missed the Tour de France with a knee injury, taking a stage win in a 23-man sprint. Alano took the flowers the following day, but Ulrich was growing into the race and would dethrone the Spaniard on stage 12 at Arcalis in Andorra, the same resort where the German had taken the Maillot Jaune in the 1997 Tour de France that he went on to win. Here, similarly, as one by one, his challenges faded, with the exception of Igor González de Galeano, or it proved imperious to ev- impervious sorry, to every attack and held on to win in Madrid. He was the third German to win the Vuelta after Rudi Altic in 1962 and Rolf Volschol in 1965. The addition was also significant for the Anglirios world premiere and Chava Jiménez's victory there ahead of the mighty Pavel Tonkov. The late Frank Vandenbroek also took a pair of swashbuckling stage wins in 1999 and there were also four stage wins for the German sprinter Marcel Wust. You remember that Welter, Brian? Yeah, I remember it very well. I, I'm, I'm quite interested in the, obviously both the Ulrich story but definitely also the Vandenbroek story and the, the, the way he wrote, I mean he, he was even helping Ulrich at some point just for the just for the sake of it I think. Yeah, and it was, it was that Welter where everyone thought Vandenbroek would basically win the Worlds in Verona with with five minutes with both hands on his back. Uh, he didn't, but he was. Yeah, I think he, he crashed. And he crashed midway, didn't he? Well, he couldn't. Yeah, he couldn't with both both of his hands folded behind his back because he broke his wrist, didn't he? Early in the race, yeah. but he still yeah. he still sort of dominated. He and Ulrich still kind of dominated that Worlds. Um, neither of them won the race. The race was won by Oscar Freire. Yeah, exactly. But I was I was there. It was my first World Championships. I've, uh, went there by train. My, I think I still owe my brother for the ticket. But yeah, it was a, it was a life-changing experience for me sitting on a balcony in Verona for a week. So I I I remember everything about that '99 Worlds. I remember everything about every single '99 race because I was supposed to write my thesis and I was watching cycling <laughs> instead. And it wasn't the thesis was not about professional cycling in 1999. Unfortunately, what was it about, no, Brian? It was about. Um, uh, the problem of uh, reference in um, Wittgenstein's rule-following argument in new and Oh, okay. All right. All right. That's enough. That's you want to? You want more? Um, no, not really. Not really, Brian. Um, maybe another day. And um, Brian, I wanted to in this part talk a little bit a, a little bit more about some other riders who came into this Vuelta Espana with big ambitions. There were there were even more sort of GC pretenders than in usual Grand Tours. There was this whole sort of tier of riders who well now are sort of occupying what in formula one i think would be referred to as the midfield the sort of positions between about um, fifth place and 15th place on the general classification but they all sort of came in um thumping their chests uh, hoping and well telling us that they were aiming for the top five or that maybe even the podium i'm talking about guys like hugh carthy pavel sivakov jai hindley rigoran uh, esteban chavez timon aronsman ben o'connor superbock um wilco kelderman simon yates superman lopez and, and there were others as well not all of them i should say you know pavel sivakov didn't say that he was going to finish on the podium on the top five but they all had some kind of 
ambition for general classification. Um, we'll hear from three of them just to kick us off. Um, I spoke to three of them this morning, in fact. Uh, Hugh Carthy of EF Education First, who today, I can tell you, after today's stage, he's 15th on general classification five minutes and 58 seconds down didn't have a great day today and um, Pavel Sivakov well as we've already mentioned his welter sort of ran aground a little bit yesterday he was a bit better today but he's five minutes and 39 seconds down he's in 10th place and Jai Hindley is just hanging on in the top 10 he's five minutes and 36 seconds down so let's hear from that trio this morning um well Hugh how do you think it's gone so far? Pretty good position, 15th on GC, close enough to the top 10. Yeah, not too bad. I think I got him better. Uh, start was uh, we lost a bit of time in the team time trial, but uh, yeah, I'm feeling better. Feeling like I'm recovering okay and uh, I'm there or thereabouts. Not amazing, but uh, yeah, still optimistic. You know, with the way the Giro went, I think it'll be similar here. I think I'll get stronger. Hopefully, I get stronger as the race goes on. We were a bit surprised. I think everyone was that you guys lost as much time as you did in the team time trial. Well, what did you think was the explanation for that in the end after the kind of debrief? Um, I think the team we brought here, we brought a team of climbers. We were targeting stages and sort of the overall. And yeah, with the way the calendar is at the moment, we we couldn't bring four people to just to guide us around the TTT. So we had to, yeah, we had to use what we had. It wasn't the, the sort of best team for a team time trial like other teams had but uh, it was what it was I think we did a good performance and uh, we got through it and yeah, a minute over three weeks isn't it's not ideal but it, it, it wasn't it's not going to change a huge amount so it was what it was uh, then after that the, the strategy didn't change uh, yeah we've not changed much chipping away moving up um, and hopefully just keep doing the same hopefully some yeah Hopefully I just keep doing the same and the others will get more tired and I'll keep recovering well and just do my own thing. Was it one of those when you knew that it was coming, you didn't feel good all day? No, 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 it was the opposite actually. I felt quite good and then it came and yeah, maybe something didn't click yesterday. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't see it coming to be honest. Uh, I felt quite good all day. But yeah, that's how it is. I mean, uh, now, uh, yeah, I was a bit disappointed after the stage, but at the end, the shape is there. I think it won't disappear in one day. The race is still long, still a lot of long climbs. I think, uh, okay, I lost about two minutes, but uh, the boys did a really good job. They are still, like, in top five in GC. Uh, that might actually give us a bit more options. I think we still we still have a lot of freedom, uh, every one of us. I still have uh, a little car to play for GC now. I mean, uh, obviously the boys did a better performance than me yesterday, so that, that put them in front of me. Uh, but at the end, we don't have to take the responsibility. I think if, uh, if let's say, uh, one of them would have taken the jersey, obviously that would have been different. But now um, now we still still can race openly, and I think next week we'll, we'll see more clearly who's... Uh, Who's the best? And uh, yeah, probably uh, probably change our tactics. But at the moment, we, we it's a bit unchanged. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't think I yeah, had the form of the Giro, you could say. But I mean, I don't think it's too bad either. But uh, yeah, I mean, the the. The, the top four guys are really like uh, going super strong so uh, yeah hopefully I can uh, find the legs a bit in the last half of the race 
Well, Brian, just looking more closely at the general classification this evening, I mean, I mentioned those three riders, and, well, there's a huge group um, around about, well, between eighth on general classification, that's Miguel Angel Lopez. He's just over five minutes behind, 5.03, right down to Hugh Carthy in 15th. He's 5.58. So there are seven riders, seven or eight riders um, within a minute of each other. And... um, yeah, let's just run through a few of them. Well, let's start a little bit higher up. Um, Simon Yates, sixth at three minutes and eight seconds down. Now, I can tell you he wasn't very happy today after the finish either because he well, he won here in 2018 and he thought he had a good chance again today. Uh, I mean, yeah, he, he did go up one place, but I don't think he has any reason to be particularly fond of where he is right now in the welter. I still think that he'll he'll gain a couple of places potentially on the on the TT. He's he's really really become a a great time trialist and he can use that to his own I think advantage. But he still needs to show better on the climbs. And I think without starting to talk about the other guys you mentioned, he needs to figure out and he's one of the guys who who need to figure out if they can if they at all can put pressure on Evenepoel or if he can just try and, and jump up a few places and potentially aim for the podium. I, I think I think he's not here to r- ride for top five. I think he's here to try and win the bike race. So for that reason, he will need to put in a massive attack. And he can only do that at a point where Evenepoel is either isolated, but that might not be enough. He might actually have to show some kind of weakness. And if you're just waiting for that to happen, this could be a, this could be a long welter before we see that because he's, he's yeah certainly flying right now. And the next one down is Almeida. He's in seventh, four minutes 32 down. Now, he came in to the Vuelta saying that his legs didn't feel great. Um, now, he's in a, an invidious position whereby I think the whole of Spain is getting excited about Juan Ayuso, his teammate, who is two places higher in general classification. I see Almeida now having to possibly sacrifice himself, even if the team don't spell that out. Would you agree, Brian? Yeah, yeah, it depends on the psychology that they that they approach Ayuso with because he's so young. And if they if they knocked on his door in the evening and said, "Hey, by the way, Almeida is now your uh, your helper for the rest of Walter, and we think you can finish on the podium." I mean, he, this kid has made results for a very long time, even if he's still a teenager, as you mentioned. It just depends on how he's going to react to that. I think if a, a smarter approach would probably be. Try and take it. <laughs> I hate when writers say that. And now I'm saying it myself. Try and take it day by day and see if you can actually position yourself this this well in the in the group of contenders. And then at at some point, if you see a possibility, attack. I don't think that this is the time where he should he should start to ride defensively. And he's still so young, so I think he might as well throw everything at a at a stage win and see what's left after that. And in the next two, Hindley Lopez, we heard from Hindley, he hasn't got his best legs, he hasn't rediscovered the the form of the Giro. And I think there was a feeling among a lot of these guys that they had to come into the Vuelta España hot because they knew that the first half of the race was full of climbs and a lot of time was going to be gained and lost in the first 10 days and for some of them well they haven't quite got their timing right because and they are down over five minutes on general classification and and now they're probably looking at the outer edges of the top five rather than podium positions and certainly um, challenging for victory but any others that you would pick out um, Brian, I mean, Theo Gegenhart has, has really, well, he's sunk down the general classification partly due to that crash. As we mentioned, he's now 12th. Well, Any others you would pick out? Is there a reason why we're not talking about Roglic in this connection? 
He's, he is now two minutes behind almost. I know he can gain something on the time trial, but I can't see him gaining anything to uh, to Evenepoel. He might. I think he'll take significant time from Mas, but can he actually take? Yeah, at this point, it's almost forty seconds from Mas, and yeah. So I think it's, this is a big disappointment for Rocklitz for sure. I, at this point, I would give Remco 50% chance of winning the Vuelta, Roglic 35, Emric Mass 10, and 5% to someone else. That would yeah. be that would be my breakdown, more or less. And um, Brian, time to change the subject. Now, this evening, the whole of the Vuelta, not just we, are embarking on a an odyssey across Spain. We're going to Alicante, and this will be the second very long transfer of the Vuelta a España. Of course, we started in the Netherlands. Some of the teams, some of the staff, some of the journalists drove down from the Netherlands. And, well, this obviously all has environmental implications. And there are a couple of riders at this Vuelta a España who are very worried about the environmental implications of, well, not just what they're doing as professional cyclists and as members of the professional cycling circus but they're worried about what society at large is doing or not doing about the environment and climate change one of those riders is Gino Maida he's um, the Bahrain victorious 25 year old last year's white jersey he was fifth overall last year and um, he was key actually in Jack Haig's uh, third place especially on that final that infamous final stage in Galicia where Superman Lopez threw a bit of a tantrum and quit the race um, made it was he was second at Romdi earlier this year um, didn't have the best day today either he's another one of those riders who sort of targets in general classification um, 19th now on general classification he is in fact but um, this year he has launched a very noble initiative whereby he, he is donating one Swiss r- franc for every rider who finishes behind him in any bike race. The other rider we're about to hear from is an old friend of the podcast, um, the Lynx of Marbella, in fact, uh, Luis Angel Mate. He is from Marbella, he's 38. He's riding his 11th Grand Tour. He has placed to donate 100 trees in the area of Spain that he comes from. We've just mentioned Marbella, and in particular the mountain range called the Sierra de Bermeja, which has been hit terribly by forest fires over the last year so he is giving 100 um, new trees and then one for every kilometer he does in a breakaway and this is being matched by his team the um, Fundacione Euskadi team and La Vuelta organization now he hasn't racked up too many kilometers so far um, only 24 but he is one of the two well we'll call them the the eco warriors in the peloton and i spoke to both of them this morning and and we did also touch on that long transfer to alicante el encuentro del día the meeting of the day you're donating money for every rider that finishes behind you on this world España. i mean how's the world going for you so far well i not only do it for the world España, but for the whole season which gave me a little head start compared to last year when I only did it for La Vuelta. And I mean, obviously my money, it won't make like the massive impact, but I just tried to, well, put my money where my mouth is and uh, get people to speak about and think about it. And uh, well, my Vuelta is going quite quite good so far and I think my stages are still to come. Uh, I just try every day to finish as high up as possible and uh, r- raise some money. Um, well, Luis, we all 
know and we've read about your initiative for the environment here. Um, could you just explain for those who don't know what has been happening over the last couple of years in the Sierra de Bermeja, no? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, last year we 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 have uh, one of the most uh, catastrophic uh, wildfires of our history in Sierra Bermeja. Is a area with uh, a lot of ecologic uh, barrier, uh, value, yeah. Barrier, yeah, with uh, very important trees like pinsapo. It's an endemic tree, very, very important. It's the only place in the world that this tree, pinsapo, uh, grown. And yeah, for us, was a catastrophe. Uh, now, uh, one year later, the Vuelta comes to Sierra Bermeja. One year later, uh, all the technical said uh, we need to start the, the works for, uh, for, the, for the reforestation. And I think the Vuelta is the, is the best opportunity to, to show everybody uh, how can do with, with this kind of catastrophe. Also, I always say that we cyclists, we have the best stadium in the world. Today is Asturias, tomorrow is Andalucía, after tomorrow Paris. And it's our responsibility to, to be care to our home, not, not the others. Yeah, we can think, yeah, the governments, the big uh, enterprise, but it's our responsibility. And I think it's important to know that and, yeah, have a little bit, I think it's... If everybody have a little bit, in the final it's a lot of. So, so you're planting a tree for every kilometer you're in the break, and then La Vuelta is helping as well. And uh, but it's hard at the break or in the Vuelta. I was going to say. <laughs> I mean, you managed it on stage one. How is it? How is it going? Tell us how's it going for you. Uh, listen, the cycling change every year is more hard to be in the breakaway. Everybody want to be in the breakaway, but yeah, it's a good uh, challenge also, no, for me, but. We have only in the half of the Vuelta, and I hope to do more and more and more case. <laughs> the fact that you're doing what you are doing with climate change and so on, I mean, what do you think about taking a, a second big flight, all the riders, and a lot of the people that are working on the race as well? Well, I mean, obviously it's not like the optimum. Um, well, I think in a country as big as Spain, and you want to promote the whole country and show different uh, parts of it, as long as we kind of can raise awareness and like show maybe there's different alternatives, better alternatives, we can just use these days, uh, yeah, to raise awareness and uh, maybe do everybody do a small little thing to help, uh, well, to help up offset uh, the CO2 we. Well, we're gonna admit. Yeah, for sure, it's not the best way, no, but. When you see the public, the public in Holland, when you see the public in the Basque Country, now the cycling and every year is more global. And yeah, for sure it's not comfortable, but we need to know that the cycling change. Every, every, everybody wants to have a stage. And I think it's important to have a public in every part of the world and for that. When you see the public in Holland or in Basque Country, you, 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 you say, yeah, it's hard, but I think it's, it's good for the cycling. Have you spoken to Gino Maida, who's doing something similar for Bahrain Victorious? No. I can, do, I can speak with him because he's always in the front. I am, I'm, I'm, he's always in the back. And I, 
I don't see you. <laughs> I don't see him. Yeah, I think uh, we have in the in the most important moment of our history with the global warming, with the change climatic. And it's important to know that and to say to everybody that we need to to act now. Now is the moment and we need to act. Well, we are now in a really like rainy region of Spain, so it doesn't show as much, but you see pictures of yesterday tour of uh, Germany and it looks like so southern Spain. And uh, well, it makes you it makes you think and um, well, as I said, we we better gonna start soon because uh, I think our planet is dying at an alarming rate and uh, some like some skipping points in uh, in the warming they they can't be well turned back that's why we call them skipping points um, so yeah I just feel like we have to start soon and we have to start really really um, like strong. Well, Brian, those clips, I think, encapsulated nicely the dilemma that we all have and the, the, imposs- the impossibility of being absolutely consistent when it comes to the environment. Um, you can be very conscious and you can very, be very noble, as both of the aforementioned riders are, and yet they both also acknowledged that... Here at the Vuelta a España, it is important that the race moves around Spain and further afield, and there are implications for that. And um, neither of them is particularly comfortable about it. They see it as a necessary evil. It's something that I've become a lot more aware of in the last, say, four or five years, especially when working in California and seeing the droughts and, and, and the wildfires, almost something you can count on happening every year. But then also, when you become a father, you, you worry a lot more about what type of world you leave for your children going onwards. And it is very alarming. And, and you know, we see droughts, we see cr- pretty crazy climate changes already from, you know, from our not so distant memory from, from, when, yeah, from when you and I started in cycling. A lot has happened since then. But not, not a lot has happened in cycling in terms of uh, not just raising awareness, I think the riders have other things to think about, but cycling hasn't really used any opportunities to become a greener sport other than uh, using bidons that are compostable potentially or you can't just drop things uh, wherever you want in a bike race anymore. But other than that, cycling hasn't really done much, not as much as it could. You know, I, I remember from looking at uh, the, the fleet of vehicles, you know, if you have... Each team has a lot of cars, obviously trucks and buses and whatever. And, and each car on a team easily does as many kilometers as a bike rider. So in a year, it would almost amount to 35,000, 40,000 kilometers. So cycling is green, but the sport of cycling, professional cycling, certainly isn't. So it's, I think it's good and it would be nice if there were more riders who were helping us understand the severity of those elements, even when we talk about sport, because sport is usually something that we think is, is green or healthy or whatever, but, but professional cycling really isn't. I, I really like the links of Marbella, Luis Angel's point about it being our responsibility and the responsibility of riders to cherish, treasure, preserve and beautify our natural environments because we are those of us who cycle or run we are the prime beneficiaries of those environments yeah absolutely but don't forget whenever you see a race and whenever we enjoy all those things there's a huge line of cars behind every single professional peloton and there's no other way around it they, they have there has to be cars or there'll be no bike race 
But it's, I think other things that can be done, other initiatives, I think hopefully cycling will look, just in a few years, will look quite differently in terms of our, our, our carbon imprint. So it's good when, when riders speak their mind and actually do something because that's down to all of us. If we can, you know, we can talk a lot about it, but it's, if each and every one of us don't do anything on a daily basis to better these, this situation, we are doomed, I'm sorry to say. I mean, I said the other day, Brian, that it, it feels unfair and churlish to criticise the Vuelta because of all the Grand Tours that I get the sense that they're the ones doing the most and, and it's perhaps easiest for them to do the most because they're the smallest in scale. But, you know, they, they've they've got an information board displayed in the press room and elsewhere um, on the race. They're sort of boasting that there's a 95% pr- uh, reduction use of plastic bottles. They've got um, 190,000 fewer plastic bottles will be used thanks to these kind of big hubs where you can fill up um your your metal water bottles um is there, is there, this is a question for you sorry then do do vichy catalan produce oh, uh, no, no did you know that did you know that um, simon yates and i bonded over our mutual love of vichy catalan the other day did you know about Just this? Maybe we'll play, we'll play the clip later in the world. You, sh- you um, should, you that's, should. That, that's a so treat. Are they, um, not, are they not just in, plas- in, in glass bottles then? Vichy Catalan are generally you can, they are available in plastic bottles but not on the Vuelta unfortunately um, well okay. Vichy Catalan is not available on the Vuelta not on the through the official channels anyway I have to go through my dealer um, Brian um, yes uh, as I say you know 85 hybrid vehicles uh, 30,000 paper recycled paper Segafredo cups and um, yeah it, it feels to me you know to be bragging about these things when one does or when the race does feature these two very long transfers with flights with all of the the vehicles that were mentioned you know team vehicles journalist vehicles and so on and so forth having to drive across Spain um, I think there is a little bit of a uh, there's a certain degree of hypocrisy there would you not agree? Yeah but you could also turn it around and say well at least they're trying to make up for it right and yes. and, and the world is starting in other countries uh, f- not just I think for the sake of promoting the bike race I think that the, the Dutch are very well aware of the world being being you know now it's a money thing, you know, and so they're doing it for that exact reason. And there's been, you know, the tour started in Denmark this year, and there was a lot of talk about how much money that actually cost. So, but if they're on the other hand doing something, you know, when you when you want to neutralize or try to balance your 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 carbon imprint, you you have to do something at the other end. So yeah, you and can say it's, it's hypocrisy, but at least they're doing something, and they're not afraid to talk about it. Yes, and I suppose as well by showcasing those natural environments that we talked about, like no other sporting event on earth, really, the fantastic aerial shots that we get from helicopters, they are possibly reminding a wider public of how precarious these environments are and how we do need to cherish them and protect them. And as both the links of Marbella, Luis Angel and Gino said, act quickly and act decisively. Yeah, could, uh, who who can disagree? Who can disagree? But as you'll also see in those helicopter shots going into the next couple of weeks, it's bone dry. You know, rivers have run dry in Europe. The Po is barely existing anymore here in Italy. So you'll see a lot of you'll see the impact of of our own actions and our the past generations' actions in in those exact images. Uh, unfortunately, now we're not at a point where we can preserve because some of the elements of not just natural beauty but certain like uh, numerous ecosystems 
have been ruined basically so yeah i agree with now is 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 the time to actually do something science in sport is supporting the cycling podcast at the 2022 vuelta espana science in sport fueled by science This is Lionel interrupting for the final time this episode to say thank you very much to Science in Sport for supporting the cycling podcast. I'm sure everybody knows by now the discount code to get 25% off at scienceinsport.com is SISCP25. A big thank you from me to Science in Sport because their energy products got me round my ride today. We did 113 kilometres, Hertfordshire, into Essex, up into Suffolk and then back. The route was plotted expertly by my friend Andy and big thank you to him and also to Paul, Paul and Lee for their company today. It was a lovely day out in the saddle. We did the 113 kilometres in three hours and 48 minutes of riding, which gave us an average speed of 29.9 kilometres an hour, which is not really a stat that I'm particularly obsessed by. But I was pleased that when the pace really lifted in the second half of the ride after lunch, I was able to keep up and feel pretty strong on the way in. And I think that was in no small part down to my fueling because I was drinking the beta fuel, which keeps my energy levels topped up consistently through the ride. And we did stop for a proper lunch. I had beans on toast, which wasn't a huge amount to eat, but I supplemented that with an energy bake in the first half of the ride and then some of the beta fuel chews in the second half. And then with about an hour to go, just for good measure, a sort of belt and braces approach for the run in, I had a gel just to make sure I didn't get detached as the pace lifted. I was also, of course, wearing my map clothing and I opted today for the long sleeve Evade Pro Base jersey. It was a nice warm day, but it was a little bit fresh in the morning and I opted for the long sleeve jersey because I didn't want to take arm warmers and I also didn't want to have to put sun cream on my arms. So the lightweight, summer weight Evade Pro Base jersey is absolutely perfect for these sorts of conditions because it doesn't get too warm even though the temperature was in the early 20s and when we ducked into the shadows and when the breeze got up uh, it kept me the perfect temperature. Of course the cycling podcast map jersey will be out soon. I think the release date is September the 20th. More details of that in a forthcoming podcast but the entire cycling podcast collection will be available then so listen out for that. That's more than enough from me. Now back to Daniel and the Vuelta a España coverage. La etapa de mañana, la cena de ayer. Tomorrow's stage, yesterday's food. Last night, Brian, my travelling companion and I, went for Mexican in Oviedo. Um, what did we? What were the highlights? We had some very nice, we had some quesadillas the portabello trufado um, quesadillas of of portobello mushrooms with um, a sort of truffle sauce in them they were they were pretty good um, didn't drink any wine of note last night Brian I'm afraid with Mexican food what would you have recommended with Mexican food <laughs> that's a tough one that's a really tough yeah. one oh, maybe an albariño of you know Spanish white wine bit of acidity a bit of freshness and some I think it will match some of the spices pretty good we did have some cider though of course being in Oviedo um, it would be rude not to Brian um, the stage well we have no stage tomorrow apart from the 800 kilometers that we'll be undertaking in the car what do we have on Tuesday on Tuesday we have a completely flat 30 point 
uh, almost 31 kilometer time trial down uh, in Alicante. Part of it is inland heading towards the coast and the last part is along the Mediterranean coast. Yeah, it'll be a big showdown and it'll be, I think it'll be a big Evenepoel show, but it will also be a showdown between the riders who still can entertain realistic hopes of the podium in Madrid. I see Remco winning that stage, um, which is bad news for your prognostications, Brian. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe I should just, maybe we should make a bet and we, I'll come to Madrid so I can... <laughs> So I can I can see that bottle so being. Buy, so you can buy the wine. So you can buy the wine, please. Oh, yeah. um, not on the cycling podcast budget, I should add. Brian, um, after that, just a quick look ahead to the stages we've got. Um, we have on stage eleven got a stage going from Murcia. It's a bit of a well, it's a big a big sort of tin meat factory. Who El Pozo? They they sponsor the race and the stage on Wednesday will start from outside the factory um, in Murcia and it will go down to Cabo de Gata on the extreme well the southern southeasternmost point more or less of Spain and that's a bit of a transitional stage you know who I see winning there Fred Wright I had a cracking chat with Fred Wright today about again about the the lessons that he learned from his near miss but, a couple yeah, but of days how, ago how bad is he at winning bike races I'm sorry well I think very soon Brian he'll become very good at winning bike races and I think he's going to start on Wednesday oh, okay. right. I think it's going to start on Wednesday Brian um on stage 12, we have the stage that, that well, Luis Angel Mate talked about going through or close to his, what he calls his gym, um, his laboratory where he trains the Sierra de Bermeja, which has um, been badly affected by forest fires. But it's a summit finish, finishing at um, just about well, 1,260 metres at Peñas Blancas, Estepona. Um, tough summit finish that day. Then the following day, Rondate to Montilla, another sort of transition stage, another opportunity for the breakaways with an uphill finish. And then next weekend, we have the big double header in Andalucía at La Pandera. We've been there before, another extremely steep and difficult climb. And then on stage 15, we have, I, I guess, what most people would call the Queen stage, at least in terms of the altitude of the finish over 2500 meters there and well we'll see a big showdown i'm sure it's gonna be a cracking week brian um i better get on the road down to alicante um but i think i think that concludes not only the night's entertainment but also the week's entertainment so brian i'm gonna thank you and we are going to rendezvous again next week i believe i'm not sure when exactly i'm going to be working on the roster the rotor sorry for the second week um on the journey down tomorrow well st- stand by your recorder stand by your recorder. you could be called up you could be caught up at any moment, Brian. Um, I guess, who knows, there could be a natural disaster. Um, actually, on that, I should say, Dan Martin's basement, I do believe, is doing better after yesterday's interruption to the podcast. There were some shocking videos that he, he sent me of the, I think, uh, a, a mains pipe burst outside his house in Andorra, and it was quite dramatic. So um, he, was, he was certainly excused um, halfway through yesterday's podcast. But this kind of thing can happen at any moment. Good to know. <laughs> Brian, on that note, I'm going to wish you uh, a lovely evening and um, a lovely evening to all of our listeners. Thank you, Dan, and to you. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freed and Lionel Burney.